So we're uh, truly wrapping up today. We had our kind of our last uh, subject message in this series that we've called Developing a Rule of Life. It's part of uh, what we call a practice series. So uh, the goal of these last seven weeks has been to put in practice the truth of the scriptures and specifically a rule of life, a, a way of living, a lifestyle that places us in front of Jesus. So today our goal is to kind of take all of those pieces and put them together. Uh, kind of create a unified whole. So in order to do that, I'm just going to kind of uh, briefly walk through where we've been. Uh, so for those of you who are relatively new, you'll get caught up. Um, you may want to go back and listen to podcasts or do some reading or whatever to, uh, to get caught up. There are study guides that are still back in the hub. And so if you didn't grab one of those yet, you're welcome to grab one of those. Uh, this will be the last week. Those will be out there. And so I'd love for you to grab one of those. We also still have them online as well. So we began by uh, basically talking about this, this subversive idea that Jesus spoke that basically said you and I aren't subject to our emotion, but rather we're able to uh, move and shape our emotion based on our action. The way Jesus said it is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We tend to think of it the other way. We tend to think where your heart is, your treasure will be. So whatever you're passionate about, you'll be able to see in your checkbook or in your budget or uh, out of your checking account. But but what Jesus said is the the opposite. He said, actually, where you place your treasure, your your heart is going to follow it. So when we put intentional effort into something, when we take our resources and place them somewhere, we actually start to shape our emotions, our loves, based around that idea. And so that was really the driving force of this entire series, to understand uh, that as we, uh, as we organize and structure our life, as we place treasure in certain areas of our life, our emotions start to follow, our, 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 our uh, joys and our loves start to follow after those things. And so uh, we talked about that kind of as the driving force. Then we talked about Jesus' words from John chapter 15, that if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit, and apart from him, we can do nothing. A fascinating idea that regardless of what our lives look like on the outside, uh, real lasting fruit only comes from the presence of Jesus himself, that when we abide in him, our lives will bear fruit, and apart from him, we can do nothing. We then kind of shifted gears and said, uh, even if we're organized well and we're being intentional, the world that we live in can start to steal Christ-likeness away from us, and that often happens through the form of technology. We are uh, people who are held captive often by our technological devices. And so we talked about the idea that in order to be able to follow Jesus, uh, that That rule of life that we look at in every area of life, we need to look at a rule that also impacts the way that we use technology because that force in the world around us uh, can really draw our hearts. We then talked about the idea of quiet, that um, God's uh, primary language is silence. He speaks to us in the silence. And so for many of us, we have to create that. We have to be intentional about placing silence in our lives in order to be able to hear from God, to be able to uh, create enough space to hear from him. And we talked about the gift of limits, that limits are not just something in our humanity that we should push against, as our culture tends to tell us, but rather they're a gift that we celebrate. And if you remember, Pastor Jonas uh, told his story about the way that limits, when they're transgressed, create a, a, an untenable situation in our life. And he uh, shared his own life story with us and the way that that crash Uh, came out of not having limits in place, that we are people who should embrace our limits, that we recognize within our limits is a 
part and parcel to being human. It's the way that God made us and allows us to be able to celebrate him fully. Then we looked at the idea of lament, that grieving and um, weeping and and, uh, mourning areas of our life is actually vital to us being able to be holistic, that as we move from season to season, as we engage in a broken world, there are things that need to be mourned. It's right and true that they should be mourned. It's not that we should just uh, immediately just pretend to be happy all the time, put on a happy face. But recognize that grief and mourning are part of what it means to be human in a fallen world. But then we kind of shifted gears and we said that uh, mourning, lament, is actually one side of a two-sided coin. And joy is uh, what it means to be central to the people of God. God himself is a God of joy and he invites us into lives of joy. So last week we looked at that idea that joy is something that we are uh, we're driven towards rightly and that in God is the fullness of joy. So today, what I want to try to do is take all of those individual parts, which uh, maybe even as you hear them feel a little disjointed, and I want to try to unify them together. What does it look like for us, in a practical sense, to engage in a rule of life that encompasses all of that and more? What does it mean for us to structure our lives around the person of Jesus so that our affections and our loves begin to be shaped by him? And that takes us to this uh, very famous short chapter in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. Uh, It's it's situated right in between two extensive teachings on the spiritual gifts. So in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about all of the different gifts and how all of the gifts are given for the building up of the body and individually we're to uh, engage in those gifts. And then in chapter 14, he zeroes in on two specific gifts, the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues and how those specific gifts are meant for the edification of the body. But right in the middle, there's, just this, there's this poem and it's a beautiful and probably to many of you familiar poem. I want to ask you to listen with new ears through the idea of Paul speaking to us as it relates to the way that we live our lives, lives that are intended to be moved toward God, uh, moved into the presence of Jesus through the gifts and through a rule of life, through the structure of our lives. But in the center of that, Paul says, don't forget. And so listen, Bill's going to come and read for us this poem from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. (laughs) If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain (sighs) nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It 
does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Uh-huh. Oh. Oh. Doink, 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 doink. It keeps no record of wrongs. But it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love never fails. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. (laughs) When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we prophesy in part. Then for now I prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now we see as in a mirror, dimly. Then we shall see face to face. Now, I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. Would you pray with me? Jesus, would you now take these familiar words and help us to have hearts that are engaged in your truth? God, help us to hear from you. Would you, by your spirit, speak your truth deep into our souls? God, may you guard my words that they come from your spirit alone, that the words that come from my flesh would fall to the ground and be forgotten, but the words that come from your spirit would remain. We need you. We need your power. And so, God, would you come and speak? We intentionally open our minds, our hearts, our spirits to you. And so, Lord, speak. Your servants are listening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So some of you immediately um, hear that and think you're at a wedding. You're not at a wedding. Uh, we are not uh, going through that process today. It's, it's funny that that often gets used at weddings uh, because as uh, beautiful as that poem is, it really was never intended to be a romantic love kind of poem. It's, uh, it's uh, situated right in the middle of uh, 1 Corinthians because it's talking about the, the body. It's talking about the love that Jesus has for us and the love that we as a body are to have for one another. 
And so uh, what we're going to do is we uh, just unpack this a bit. There's so much more than we're going to be able to get into this morning. But I I want us to uh, look at uh, three different things coming out of this poem. The first one is this, that there is a difference between means and ends. And that's vitally important as we look at the uh, rule of life, that there's a difference between means and ends. That maturity is measurable. You and I can know that we're growing in Christ. And there's uh, ways specifically that God has designed for us to measure that so we can see that. And then finally, that maturity takes a lifetime. That this is a journey that we're on and that we are not going to complete this side of heaven. And so we can know this continued journey towards Jesus is one uh, that will always be out in front of us that we can continue to pursue. So means and ends, maturity is measurable and maturity takes a lifetime. So Paul, uh, remember, is right in between these two passages about spiritual gifts. And he shifts gears in a way that maybe it's uh, tough to follow if you haven't dug into these passages because he's going to move from gifts to what he will call in Galatians chapter 5, fruit of the Spirit. So he's talking about gifts of the Spirit in chapter 12. He's going to come back to gifts of the Spirit in chapter 14. But now he's speaking about fruit of the Spirit and specifically the fruit of love, the chief fruit of the Spirit. So in Galatians chapter 5, Paul lists what he calls the fruit of the Spirit. And all that means is as we walk in step with Christ, there are certain things that come out of our lives naturally. They're not specific to one person or another, and we don't get like one but not the other one. All of these fruit come out of our lives as we walk in step with the Spirit. And the chief fruit is love. And so what Paul says is, in the middle of all of this talk about gifts, There's fruit that should naturally come out of your life, and that's what's most important. In fact, uh, the way that he says it is is really alarming. So he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, uh, if I have prophetic powers, if I understand all mystery and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to move mountains, uh, if I give away everything I have, if I deliver my body to be burned, these are incredible gifts, steps that we could take as followers of Christ that were, were powerful in his day and in any day. Things like speaking in tongues and uh, speaking messages of knowledge, words of prophecy, it, miracles that we um, speak into existence through faith, that, uh, that we are living generous lives so much so that the natural result of that generous life is that we would uh, give our lives over to martyrdom, that we would follow Jesus with the totality of our lives. These are powerful things. And Paul says, if you do that, it's not, it's not just that love is superior to that or that those things are inferior to love, but he says if you do those things and you don't have love, it's actually annoying, right? He says it's like a, like a, a, a gong or a symbol. Like a, a, if, you're, if you're doing all of this stuff, but you're not loving people, you're just making noise, and then he says, if you're, if you're doing miracles, if you're in faith making these powerful proclamations and God is coming through and doing these powerful things, but you're not doing it in love, you, you don't have anything. Like you haven't gained anything. And then as kind of like the, um, the, the deep cut, he says, if you go all the way to martyrdom, but you don't have love, not only haven't you gained anything, he says, you are nothing. That's a deep statement of identity. What he's basically saying is that the the love of Jesus is what it means to be identified by Christ. And so if our core identity is Jesus, 
and we're not operating in love, whatever it is that we're doing, we're operating outside of our identity. Paul is saying there's a difference between the means and the ends. All of these gifts that are given by the Spirit, they're means to the end. Paul's uh, goal in these three chapters of Corinthians is to help the Corinthian church and help the church throughout time understand that these gifts are given to build up the body of Christ for the purpose of being a loving community of faith that, uh, that envelops people in the love of Jesus, that operates within the love of Jesus. So what Paul's saying is don't focus on the wrong stuff. Don't, don't get so bent out of shape about the means that you forget the ends. And that's where the principle begins to apply into rule of life. Because all this is, although this is talking about spiritual gifts and spirituality, spiritual structure is the same thing. So let me say it a slightly different way. If you have a great rule of life, like you are, you are regularly getting up in the morning, you're spending an hour every day in prayer and, and Bible reading. Throughout the day, you're recentering your heart. You're fasting once a week. You're giving 15% of your income. You're regularly in community. You're celebrating with people. All the stuff, right? You have it all listed out and you're following it. But you don't have love. You haven't achieved anything. It's not impressive. Most of all to God. And so for us to recognize as we engage this rule of life series to say it, it, it is right that we orient our lives around things that bring us into alignment with Christ, but let's not confuse the means for the ends. Those who are operating in the love of Christ are operating out of the identity that they're called into, and those who are not, regardless of what else is happening in our lives, are not operating in line with Christ. We are not taking on his identity. It's a deep and difficult thing to hear, but it's really important for us to, to recognize. There's a guy named Michael Hendricks who, um, uh, there's a group of us in the Eastern District who are uh, in a, a conversation with him. Uh, he's a, uh, he operates in the field of neurotheology, which is a really fascinating idea, basically the way that neuroscience and theology operate together towards discipleship. But what, what Hendricks says, he said it uh, several times in our conversations, he says, maturity, Christian maturity, discipleship, is about loving the way that Jesus loves. That's really it. None of the other stuff really matters. That, that uh, if we're growing in maturity, if we're growing in likeness to Christ, what we'll see is the love of Jesus in us. And you probably know people like that. There, there are people who when you're near them, the love of Jesus just comes off of them. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, there was years ago, uh, I was in a leadership program. It was a uh, kind of a North American leadership program, so it was between uh, primarily the uh, United States and Canada, uh, as well as uh, so, some people from around the globe. And we would gather together, and um, these, are, these are people who are seen to be leaders in their local churches, so you can imagine they were kind of, we were kind of loud, <laughs> um, all kind of uh, type A personalities, everybody's kind of got stuff, you know, you're, everybody's kind of achieving things and whatever. And you get in this room, and there's this guy, he's a couple years older than me, who uh, worked for the leadership uh, program. And he, he stands up the first day, and he, he's kind of like, we're all kind of talking and positioning, and everybody's kind of having conversations. He's kind of over in the corner and kind of doing some stuff. And he stands up, and he's the one who's like leading this cohort. And he's really soft-spoken, and he's honestly like not impressive at all. And I'm like, who put this guy in charge of a group of leaders? Like, we're going to run this guy over. Like, what in the world's going on? But over the course of two years, we met uh, a week uh, every six months over the course of two years. 
And by the second week that we met, I noticed people kind of starting to hover around. His name was Steve. Uh, started to hover around Steve a little bit. And by the third and fourth time that we met, it was, like a, it, it was like a ticket to a rock concert when you got to like sit and talk to Steve. Like everybody just wanted to be close to him. They, they wanted to, to just be present. And he still wasn't impressive. He still wasn't loud. He still wasn't directive. But Jesus just came off of him. You probably know people like that. There are people here at York Alliance like that. That when you get close to them, you just like, you, you want to be close to them because Jesus just comes off of them. That's the end. If, if you have a great rule of life, but Jesus isn't being formed in you, then Paul says your rule of life is noisy. It's obnoxious. It's not actually doing anything. But if you structure a rule of life so that you would be able to spend time in the presence of Jesus to be changed by him, that Jesus would more and more be formed within you and he begins to come off of you, that's incredibly valuable. So we mustn't mistake the means for the ends as we pursue, pursue a rule of life. Secondly, um, Paul shifts gears. So if you're reading along in uh, uh, verse 4, he changes from uh, describing what's going on, uh, using uh, lots of descriptive words, to using action words. So verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant, it's not rude, it doesn't insist on its own way. What, what Paul does is uh, he is starting to use the fruit now as a measuring stick. So he says there's certain actions that you can see happening when love is being formed within you. So uh, uh, let me say it in a simpler way. If you and I start to engage in a rule of life, over the course of weeks and months and years, there are specific characteristics that Paul is listing for us that should be forming within us. And we will know if they're forming within us because they're measurable things. Are you more patient? Are you kinder than you were? Now, some of you may say, well, I, I feel like I'm really good at that. But um, this requires us being immersed in a community of people who are not always like us and not always the people that you would choose to hang out with. Do you know what I'm saying when I say that? Right? There, there need to be people in your community that you're regularly in contact with that you know you are growing in patience because you're interacting with them. I'm trying to say it as nicely as I can, but some of you are the kind of people who intentionally try our patience, right? Um, and that's the way it works. Like, so in your community, like you should be able, like there are people coming to your mind right now. Like that's, that's okay. Like there are people coming to your mind and you're thinking, yes, uh, there, there are people who I can tell if I'm growing in patience because that person's there. So if that's not the case, like if I'm talking about this and you're like, I just can't think of anybody like this, there, there's two things that may need to happen. One of them is you may just need to expand your circle a little bit. You may need to find some people who are not like you, or you may be that person. It's possible. It's <laughs> I don't know, I'm, not, I'm just saying it's possible. So uh, there, there should be people in our lives where I can say, like, I can see patience growing in me because of the way I interact with these people in my life. And that's not bad. That's not a critique of any individual people. What that is, is that we are fallen, broken people in a fallen, broken world, and we're going to annoy each other. Like, that's the way it works. 
And so um, one of the most beautiful things to me about York Alliance is that this is a church full of um, people at all kinds of different stages of their journey, uh, both chronologically and spiritually. So you have people who've been following Jesus for a long time. You have people who've just been alive for a long time. You have people who have not been alive that long and who haven't been following Jesus that long and everywhere in between. And so we have this opportunity to be connected to all of these different kinds of people. But the negative of a church like York Alliance is we're large enough that you don't have to be. So you could surround yourself with people who are just totally like you, who are exactly the same as you who are at the same stage of the journey that you're at, chronologically and spiritually. And in that process, it's unlikely you're going to find people who are going to rub too hard against you because they're going to have some of the same challenges that you're having. They're going to have some of the same strengths that you're having. They're going to affirm your strengths, and they're going to let your weaknesses go. And you're going to miss out on some of the shaping that happens through an intentionally diverse community. So um, one of the great privileges that I've had early in life and early in my ministry life was to be invested in by a variety of people who had been following Jesus for much, much longer than I have. And uh, some of that uh, was uh, really, really enjoyable. Most of it was really enjoyable for me. I won't say it's enjoyable for all the people who were with me. So uh, Jerry Barber is back there. Uh, Jerry Barber, uh, very early on in uh, pastoral ministry, I recognized that I was trying to figure out like what I believed about the church and what I believed about the gospel and what I believed about like all kinds of stuff. And so uh, Jerry and I met intentionally for lunch once a month or so, something like that. And we would sit down and poor Jerry would just have to listen to me process stuff. And I always called Jerry my tether because he, w- he was on the dock and I was kind of floating out in the water somewhere and he was like holding me, holding me back from like, floating, out, floating away. And so we would sit and, and process, and Jerry would listen to me process and kind of ho- hold me back, you know, hold me near the dock. Um, and, and so in that relationship, uh, Jerry was finding out if his love was patient and kind, right? Because I was the annoying one in the process. Uh, and and he, was, he was intentionally uh, loving me by listening and helping me to process, by being kind of that, that solid rock. We need people like that. I've had the privilege of having many different people, some of the uh, most amazing people that I know, invest intentionally in me. But, but here's the thing. You will probably have to step out and ask that question. So let me speak specifically to those who would, if you would consider yourself young, I'm not going to put a, an age on that. So Kimmy, you're in. It's fine. You can consider yourself young if you'd like. It's no problem. If you consider yourself young, there's an intentionality that you will have to take to reach out to people who are ahead of you in the journey to invite them to speak into your life. Like, I've had some great mentors. All but one of them, I had to seek out. I had to go and say, will you speak into my life? And honestly, the first one, it was early on in ministry, and he saw I was such a train wreck, he just did it out of pity. It was like, <laughs> like really, you need help, buddy. <laughs> um, but after that, it's been, it's been me reaching out to people and saying, I, I want you to speak into my life. I had a fascinating conversation earlier this week with an older saint. Um, we were talking about community group involvement. And um, I, I made the comment that there were multiple groups that were primarily filled with people my age or younger who really wanted to have older people in their group. And she was shocked. Like, she, she was like, really? Like, people my age feel like we're kind of pushed out to the side. 
And I said, oh my goodness, no. Like, there, there are those of us who really, really want that influence in our lives. But if we don't ask, they don't know. And I'll say the other way. If you're on the older side and you would consider yourself to be a little older, a little more seasoned, is that the way you say it? Um, it if you would put yourself in that category, there are a whole bunch of people around here who need your influence, who need you to speak into them. And so there may be some times that by the Spirit you're going to be prompted and you just need to go have a conversation. You need to be that person who is measuring your love of uh, whether it's patient and kind and keeps no record of wrongs, is willing to go that direction and intentionally engage somebody at a different season of life. And so for us, that practically, programmatically works itself out around community groups and discipleship partners, places where people can plug in and be connected with intentionality. But the point is this, when we're in community, intentionally in community with people who are not like us, you're able to see love emerge because you can measure it. You can see like, like that person I've responded to differently today than I would have a month ago or a year ago. I, I'm willing to engage that person at a different level than I used to be. So Paul's laid out these characteristics for us, and he said there's a way for us to engage uh, those, those kinds of relationships. Um, but then Paul also gives us the difficult news that maturity is a, a lifetime endeavor, something that's going to go for a long time. So, so he says in uh, verse 8, love never ends, Prophecies are going to pass away. Tongues are going to cease. Knowledge is going to pass away. We know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, when I matured, I gave up childish ways. And then he says this, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. What Paul says is this, is all that we're doing uh, as, we, uh, as we mirror the, the relationship between Christ and the church, as we interact with one another, as we engage in the agape, sacrificial love that we are called to as a people, as we, uh, as we engage in the life of the body of Christ, as we uh, engage in a rule of life, and as we spend time in the presence of God, and as we're tra transformed by him and changed by him, and as we begin to step out in faith and do the things that Jesus did in the world around us, as we step into those things, the best we can hope for is a, 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 a mirror that's a little bit cloudy. Like you're going to see, if you stick around till 1030, you're going to see a cloudy mirror. It's not perfect, but it's a beautiful image, a mirror, a reflection of what it means to be dead to sin and alive to Christ. And you're going to see four young men descend into the waters of baptism and come out of the waters of baptism and declare, Jesus has done this in me. This thing that I just showed you, he did that in me. Now, it's not a perfect representation. Someday we'll see that perfectly. But in the meantime, we see an image. And our relationship with one another is like that. We, we don't have perfect connections. There's frustrations along the way. Our patience and our kindness is not perfect. Our sacrifice for one another is not perfect. But it's a reflection of what's to come. 
I love this very last verse because Paul says, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest is love. Think about those three things, faith, hope, and love. What Paul says is that right now, faith is necessary for us to engage in what Jesus is calling us into. We have to, as an act of faith, say, for instance, it's worth some time each morning for me to be in the presence of God. Even though I don't see him manifest himself in front of me very often. Even though there are days and weeks and maybe months that go by where I don't feel his presence in any kind of tangible way. But by faith, I'm stepping into it. Hope. We hope for something that's not yet there. Uh, the, for, for many of us, I know for me, fasting is an exercise in hope. I, I fast not because I ever see what I think would be the kind of production that I think should come out of it. Like, when I fast, I just really get irritated. That's pretty much it. Like, it's like, I, I, I'm sure I pray more. I'm sure there are things that are happening in spiritual ways, I guess. All I know is I'm just annoyed and I'm just ready to eat. Like, cut it out, right? It drives me nuts. But it's an exercise in hope because I'm hoping that God is going to do something in me, in the world around me, that I know I can't do on my own. And so there's this exercise in hope where I'm saying, God, I, I don't get all of this. I don't know why you would call me to skip lunch because lunch is good. Like it's a good gift that you've given to me. But somehow you're asking me to skip it and I'm kind of irritated. But as an exercise in hope, right, I'm, I'm hoping that you're going to do something. But love is different. Because there will be a day where we will not have to work to be in the presence of Jesus anymore. There will be a day where we will no longer fast ever. Like, talk about hallelujah. Like, like oh man. Like, I, as far as I understand, the wedding supper of the Lamb is an open buffet that's just really good all the time. Like, I'm just thinking, like, are you serious? Like, it's great. But, and, and we don't fast because we have nothing left to hope for because it's here. It's present. Ultimately, love will be right in front of us, and you will not need a rule of life to engage it. Your, your rule of life will be wake up to the presence of Jesus all the time for eternity. And so faith and hope are this longing for what is eternally promised to us. Love will remain. Until then... We're called to shape our affections, our loves, our orders and our structures, all of the disciplines and the habits of our lives around that great truth that's out in front of us. So when you get up a little earlier than you want to, and when you skip that meal that you'd rather eat, and when you give money that you could use, and when you spend time in community that's annoying, like all of those things are deposits into the reality that there will be a time where all of this will be done and that we will be fully in the presence of Jesus. But for now, we have to do that with intentionality. We have to intentionally shape our lives. And so how do you take all of this stuff and put it into a rule of life? Well, um, if you have one of these books, you don't have to pull it out right now, but in the back, the last couple pages are... Uh, and it's listed as an appendix, and it basically, it just says, how to develop a personal rule of life. It's just four pages of kind of walking you through, 
very intentional practices. Uh, we've worked with an organization called Practicing the Way and have adapted some of their materials to put this together. And basically, uh, what we did is we took these three actions of discipleship. So we've said over the last four or five years, over and over again, what, what disciples of Jesus do, what apprentices do, is we spend time with Jesus, we be with Jesus, we become like Jesus, and we do the things that Jesus did. So we took those three things and broke seven practices out of those. And basically just said, what would it look like for us to intentionally be with him? What would it look like for us to intentionally do things that help our hearts to become like him? What would it look like for us to shape our lives around taking steps in faith to do the things that Jesus did in the world around us? Really simple. There are um, like baseline practices there. So you can, as you read through, you can... See, like, if I'm at kind of an opening level or I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to put this into my life, here's something that I can intentionally do. You may have things that are more like that, more, uh, more advanced than that, or things that you feel like, wow, that's a really big stretch for me. It's too much. And that's why it's a personal rule of life. It's not that um, there's a right way to do it. There's, uh, I like to say rule of life is a lot more art than science, right? It's not like there's a right way to do rule of life, but it's a lot more of you start to put some things in practice and then do them for a while, And a while can be kind of up to you, but I would say at least a couple months in rhythm and allow those rhythms to start to shape you. Because what the the tendency is to say, to put something into practice, to be really, really aggressive and put this rule of life into practice that is like crazy difficult and you like work on it for a week and you're like, I still feel the same, forget it, I'm just going back to normal. Like don't do that. Just start little, start with very reachable steps that you can do, like a a couple minutes in the morning, some markers through the day, maybe a a generosity practice, a community practice, some basic things. And there's a lot of guidance in the appendix. You can kind of read through it. But start with some basic stuff and then commit to it for a while. Like put a, a date on the calendar to evaluate, like the end of the summer or something. And just spend time in those rhythms and start to measure. Is my love more patient? Is my love kinder? Do I, I find my heart being shaped more towards the character and the heart of Jesus? Those rhythms begin to be the thing that points us toward the love of Christ. And so as we wrap this series up, I, I want to encourage you to uh, start to be really intentional, to evaluate with intentionality the, the presence of Jesus in your life, the shaping of Jesus by his spirit in your life. And do it with one another in community. Begin to engage one another. Ask questions. Talk to people who are ahead of you in the journey and say, like, this is what I'm thinking. What, would this be helpful? What would you suggest? I've taken my rule of life and I've taken it to people, mentors who are ahead of me and said, does this, for somebody who's in full-time ministry, like, is this, is this appropriate? Is this the way to do this? And they give feedback and we wrestle through it. That, that kind of thing is really, really helpful in the process. It, it feels very um, practical, not spiritual. But by doing those practical things, you put yourself, I put myself in the position for the spirit to start to shape my heart. And so I want to encourage you, as we transition next week, we're going to get back into the book of Exodus, and we're going to continue to look at the formational work of God in his people. But as we wrap up this series, I want to encourage you to be intentional, to sit down, take an hour this week, and just chart it out. Go step by step, just walk through that appendix, and start to put some stuff down and begin to put some practices in place that can shape your life. 
As we respond today, I want to respond in a, a slightly different way, so I'm going to ask the worship team uh, if you guys would come to lead us. The, the heart of rule of life is to be in the presence of Jesus, to be shaped by him. Remember we said John 15, uh, we abide in Christ, and only when we do that can our lives bear fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And so one of the things that we tend to miss is that corporate worship is an invitation into that. We have this opportunity, at the very least once a week, to be intentionally placed into the presence of Jesus. And so as we respond, I want to invite you to take this time to be intentional about that, to be intentionally in the presence of Jesus, just to dwell in his presence. And so I'm going to ask you to just take a minute of silence to prepare your hearts, and then I'm going to instruct you to respond in a slightly different way. Uh, We often say that these altars are kind of set up for this one. You can kind of come and be in the presence of God on your own, and this one people will gather with you to to pray with you. But I'm going to do it slightly differently this morning. I'm going to ask you if you just want to come and be before God, if you just feel like God's uh, wanting you to come and just kneel down before him uh, in an intentional way. You can come to either altar, and we're going to give you space there. But if you want somebody to pray over you, and that could be for all kinds of different things. Um, There's a couple things that were on my heart as I was coming this morning, and as we take a moment of silence, there may be some things that settle onto your heart. If you uh, want to have someone pray with you, I'm going to ask you to move to either corner, in front of the doors in either corner. That will allow us to maybe hear a little bit better, as well as be able to pray with intentionality over one another. And so if that's where you are, uh, I'm going to ask you to do that in just a minute. If uh, there's a few of you here who you feel like God's uh, prompting you to be prayers this morning, I'm going to invite you to move towards these corners. And, uh, and that way, as people respond, they know who they're responding to. You're welcome to come. So if, you have, uh, if you're an intercessor, a pastor, or an elder, and uh, want to come and pray this morning, I would love to have you do that. So let's just take first a moment of silence and allow the Spirit to... Just speak his words into our hearts. 